Okay, so welcome back to Savania Gals. This week, my mom is not with me. But guess who is? Oh, my papa. <laughs> I love your sound studio here. This is great. Yeah, the, the listeners don't know, but we're surrounded by clothes. And cedar. I and think cedar. this is a, it's got to be great acoustically. Yeah. Mom said she would rain on our father-daughter moment. Hmm. <laughs> I better anyway. be careful what I say so that she's going to be listening to this, right? Yeah, she'll listen. <laughs> Mom listens to them, like, twice. All of them twice. She loves them. Mm. You know, I like them a lot, too, but, you know, I just haven't, I haven't listened to them all. I know. I'm really looking forward to listening to Matt's interview. You, his has been out for a while. I know, but I just, you know, I got other things going on, you know? Okay. So the reason I have my dad here and not my mom is because this episode is coming out on Father's Day. Mm-hmm. So we thought it was a good idea to have you on. I am honored. I can't say that I can represent all dads. but you You're know. my dad. I told our next guest that um, this is like a little time capsule, audio time capsule. Definitely. Yeah, actually, my older sister... Uh, interviewed both your grandmother and granddad uh, oh. and left a record of it. It's really, uh, really pretty cool. I've never heard those. Well, um, I think the one with our mom she recorded, the one with my dad, I think she just wrote down notes. Something about the recording, hearing their voice, though. Oh, yeah. You know, there, there was some movie about uh, nuclear holocaust and they lost all electricity and then the lady lost her whole family. She went out, finally went back to her house and uh, she got a voicemail message from her husband in uh-huh. San Francisco saying he was going to be stay an extra day yeah, using the last power in the battery and she's like breaks down and crying yeah. yeah something about the voice okay so I had questions for you I kind of forget what they were but you have a whole essay of notes <laughs> I have a legal pad with notes but I didn't write down the questions you see oh, I, just okay. answered, I just wrote down my answers notes for my answers uh, one of them, I think, was something like, uh, do I have any favorite memories? Of- yeah, yeah. So we, we're we kind of splitting this episode into, like, fatherhood, and then you, also you're just an interesting person. Oh, oh glad to. <laughs> yeah, so, but my first question was, ever, any favorite memories? Right. Now, I, you know, I read that and I thought, geez, there are so many. I mean, I, I can't, don't want to pick them out to any one in particular. Uh, you know, th- we have a couple photos that really remind me of a, a precious memory, if you will. One is of Joey holding Maggie when she, mm-hmm. soon after, in the hospital soon after she was born. Yeah. That really uh, touches the heartstrings, yeah, you know. Aww. Yeah, you got your, your, your oldest and your middle child, and he's so proud of holding <laughs> Maggie, you know. He's the older brother. And then there's another photo of Maggie holding you, uh-huh. and the middle child holding the, she, the younger Sister, she's the older sister. This is her little sister. She's much, you know, that captures something very essential to human existence, I think. Mm-hmm. You know? Close connections of self-worth involved in having a family. Those are cool memories, but um, I was trying to think about other things. And I have a couple memories that come up, you know. After we were, I'm looking at these little kids, I, I remember when Joey was just sort of like a toddler. You you weren't born yet. Maybe Maggie had been born. I don't know. But Mom and I were traveling back to North Central PA from Philadelphia, and we stopped off at a blueberry patch. And uh, you remember when we were older, we all went blueberry picking. 
But, well, this was the first time we took Joey to a blueberry patch. And it was somewhere in the Poconos. I don't even remember yeah. exactly where it was. But it was like, you know how when we were older, Joey just kept on eating and eating and eating. <laughs> well, as a, like a two-year-old, he was there. Wow, these things are good. <laughs> He's just walking around in a blueberry patch. <laughs> he had a lot of fun. So that was kind of neat, walking with him around there. And yeah. Another favorite memory of mine is uh, was one of my birthdays when y'all asked me what oh, I'd like to do. Yes. And you know what I'm talking about, right? I do know that you really liked this. I really liked it. I said, you know, my birthday's in late March, and uh, it was a beautiful day. Is this the same memory we're talking yeah, about? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I said, you know, I'd really like to go for a hike. And, you know, I like hiking. That's one of the things Mom mm -hmm. and I uh, share. And uh, so we picked out a hike up uh, along Penn's Creek. And I don't remember if it was a two-mile out and back or something like that, but uh, the pathway was just really nicely uh, defined with a little bit of grass. It wasn't too long. Well, it was a rail. It used to be a railroad. Yeah. So it was, it was straight or relatively straight and flat, right? Yeah. And then it, 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 I think it used to be like a lumber rail. Okay. Uh, but because it's not been turned into a rail to trail with lots of bikers and yeah, such. It's just yeah. a footpath. And uh, you can still tell, tell it was a railroad right away. And, and, and it ends at this tunnel. It's really kind of spooky. Mm -hmm. uh, and we yeah. went into it, and you kids were really enjoying yourselves. It was and, just me and Maggie. Or was it just you and Maggie? Yeah. Yeah, we, again, we have a photo of you. Thinking back on it, I, I think you two probably really got along that day for some reason. Yeah, maybe. You know? That's why you enjoyed it so much. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was part of it. I remember, I thought, well... Mom told a story on our camp family camping part two episode that made me think I was like, uh, when I was younger, I was like a daddy's girl. I don't remember. I, she, I well, she she it. said we were deciding who to who will sleep in tents. Oh yeah. And I was like, I want to sleep with daddy. Right, right. But another like another thing I remember doing, that kind of I don't know was in that same vein is I remember whenever we used to go to the beach and I was little. I would always be scared to go out, but unless you were with me, I wanted you in the great big, like, you know, you're not going to save me if I'm going to die at the great big ocean, but I felt safe with you. Well, well of course you did. Actually, you know, I was the best swimmer. Yeah. Know? And, you know, when you were younger like that, I was younger. Yeah, but you took me out. Sure. But, you know, I grew up swimming, you know, I, I've always been pretty comfortable in the water. I know. So I but think there was a reason for you to feel safe. Yeah, but that's not the point. I felt safe because you were my daddy. Of course you did. Yeah, that's true. You know, the youngest kid, they say they're always, you know, they always say they're spoiled. But, uh, I mean. I do not think I was spoiled. I don't think so either. I was the youngest kid. And so was mom, actually. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I don't know why I remember this, but me and Maggie used to do Girl Scouts. Yeah. And for some reason, I was upset after we came back from Girl Scouts. And we were, you and me were sitting in the office and you were talking to me mm -hmm. and you were talking to me about being youngest kid. And then mom comes in and she's like, dinner's ready. And you're like, we're having a youngest kid session. <laughs> 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 we'll be in in a few minutes. <laughs> Do you remember well, that? No, uh, vaguely, but not really. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's one of the sad things that are really important to or very memorable for the kid. A lot of times the parents don't remember them. Yeah. It's just sort of in the nature of the beast. Yeah, well, you asked if it was my choice to have kids later in life. Or you said late in life. And I thought, no, 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 later in life. <laughs> oh, did I say late in life? Yes. I might have meant to say later. 
You're pushing me out the pasture. I didn't want to offend you. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, you know, I, I was 40 years old when my first child was born, yeah. right? So that's, it's not that unusual, but when you kids were growing up, I was, your mom and I were always among the oldest parents mm -hmm. uh, in the kids' events. But um, that decision was made indirectly, or it was part of a lar another decision I made. Out of college, actually in high school, I remember somebody asking, when did you want to get married? And I, I said, I don't know, maybe in my 30s. Mm -hmm. And uh, my cohorts said, why do you want to wait that long, you know? Yeah. And uh, I said, well, yeah, I want to do things. I want to travel around, uh, you know, and if I have a family, I, I feel that it'd be a lot harder to do. So so that's what I, did, I ended up doing, right? Not getting married until my late 30s. So that's kind of why? Yeah. But if, that's like getting more normal to get married later. It is. Now. It also might be getting more normal to get married and not have kids. Oh, yeah, that's sort of a natural thing when countries become more affluent. I know from my scholarship, that's a democratic pattern. Well, and I had a third question for you yeah. that you weren't sure if you wanted to answer, right? Yeah. Why not? This is the question about my own father? Yeah. Well, you know, you don't want to air the dirty family dirty laundry, you know? I guess so. But I did come up with something that answers the question that's not so personal yeah well like i have th like i mean mom's not very patient i want to be more patient right you know like that's pretty simple right well okay good example you know, my dad was really he, 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 well, he mom yeah. is very patient just <laughs> put that on the record <laughs> but like mom i don't know gets upset uh, I don't, anyway, sorry. I love you, Mom. Okay, keep going. And I love her, too. No, but actually, she she actually has shown herself to be really patient. Yeah, yeah. At the critical moments that's in why raising I, you kids. That's why I thought it. Like, whenever, like, I'm having a breakdown, she's very yeah. patient. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it's sort of a, you know, like, she's patient in certain ways. I'm patient in other ways. Yeah, know? yeah. And uh, sometimes I just can't take any more of one of our children. <laughs> Mom comes through in the end, you know? Yeah. So um, my dad was witty, and uh, he, he had interesting stories he could tell, and uh, he could bring laughter and smiles out of people. And, but sometimes he was a little less sensitive to the, uh, other people's feelings. Uh-huh. And he'd say things that, you know, made light of something that the other person clearly felt strongly about. So, uh, and I could see that, yeah. you know, growing up observing. So, you know, I, I try to be, I, I see myself naturally being like my father in, uh, you know, making jokes. Yeah, I mean, so do I. You know, being very uh, sociable and talking. Right? Well, I was thinking, like, sleeping in the afternoon. <laughs> and your handwriting, <laughs> oh, oh, your brother. handwriting is exactly like his, too. Is it really? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Well. <laughs> it's okay, though. Uh, but, um, so, you know, I am like that a lot, but then I, I, I think I also try very hard to listen to people and recognize if they're, they feel very strongly about something. Yeah. I think that comes through in my teaching, actually, because I'm very tuned in to trying to figure out where my students are. Yeah, I was teaching. just thinking when you're saying that, that's what teachers should be, just trying to listen to people. Yeah, definitely. And another thing I came up with that's uh, acceptable to share with a larger audience... <laughs> <laughs> with your thousands and thousands of listeners, <laughs> is uh, 
he was inconsistent in telling me about the direction I ought to take in college. You know, on the one hand, uh-huh. he said, well, you know, he, he didn't think about it, I'm sure. He, he came back from a, a job interview. He gave a, a young graduate who had majored in a particular subject that he didn't feel was relevant at all. Yeah. And I remember him grousing about, you know, who cares about that stuff, you know, and all this and that. And I remember yeah. him saying, Jim, you should study something that's a salable skill. I remember that because salable was an unusual word, you know, yeah. a, a skill that could be sold, provide you with a skill set that would make you employable, you know. He would say that on the one hand. Well, I mean, you didn't really do that, I don't think. Well, I, I did major in economics. Oh, yeah, I forgot that. Actually, but um, that turned out not to be a terribly sellable skill to the American employers back when I got out of college. I, I kind of feel that way. I mean, you feel this way too. Um, people major in like sociology or anthropology. One of my mentors for robotics, I think he has two doctorate degrees. He's a heart surgeon. Yeah. And he once told all the seniors, don't major in anything ending with ology. <laughs> <laughs> Neurology? <laughs> yeah, neurology. Like, but he said, like, biology. What about was... cardiology? Oh, no, don't major in biology? No, he said biology is fine if you're going to grad school. Oh. Well, I understand that, because I was kind of conflicted as well, you know, maybe not just because what my dad told me. But my dad also told me, you should study and go into something that you like. Oh, yeah. He, he, he told me both of these things, yeah. right? And so, of course, you, know, you want to do something that's salable, and also something you like. Yeah. That's sort of the ideal thing. This is sort of a larger discussion about, you know, American higher education and the liberal arts, right? I, I don't have the final answers on that, and I don't want to spend too much of our personal time on that. Well, that's a great segue into what you actually did. Well, yeah. Well, that's kind of interesting, because uh, in college, basically I was a failed physics major. Yes, I knew that. You know, I, I ended up falling into economics. And a lot of people, even today in the college I teach at, you know, you see economics is a huge major. A lot of people want to major in that. I don't know that uh, people really majored in, in it for the right reasons, you know. Now, I found my economics training has been really valuable for me in understanding the world. Yeah. It really has been. But I just kind of fell into it. And I don't know that I've used it explicitly. But midway through college, I'm sort of like, well, what am I going to do here? And I've always, I always liked Japanese things. And I thought I'd do something that was a little exotic. And so I decided to study Japanese. And I mean, the I, language. The language, okay. yeah, the Japanese language. And uh, another part of me was an econ major. So, and just around that time, Japan had become the third largest GMP in the world after the Soviet Union and the okay. U.S. So I justified it to myself and to others. I say, well, you know, it's a salable skill. Yeah. But um, I really liked it. And one of the things I, I knew about myself is that I liked languages. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm not very good at them intrinsically, natively. You know, I don't think I yeah. really have the, like my hearing isn't that clear. I don't think that I articulate very clearly naturally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mom remembers lyrics from songs from when she was a kid. Not me. I had the melody. I, I couldn't remember the lyrics whatsoever, you know? Yeah. And, and uh, so anyway, I'm not naturally inclined to that, but I really find it interesting. And so I, I think I've gotten pretty good at the languages, certainly in Japanese. So I started Japanese my junior year in college. And I loved the class. 
Aww. It's the most demanding class I took in college. And it's the class that I did the best in. Yeah. And so anyway, I decided to follow that. You know, after when I was graduating, I wanted to get really good at the language. So I worked my way away for me to go to Japan. And the rest is the history. The rest is history, as they say. <laughs> I guess talking about Japan, do you think the culture fits you more? Yes, but no. Human beings are complicated creatures, right? My first, my 23rd birthday was my first day and full day in Japan. 23rd birthday. And I spent four years. So I basically spent my 20s in Japan, right? You live in a particular society, you learn how to function in that society. And without even realizing it, you kind of accommodate yourself to the mores of that society. Uh So being the youngest child, being of a certain personality type, I tended to be a quieter kid, more contemplative kid. You know, I think about a lot of things, right? And uh, therefore, I am generally quieter. And uh, often Japan, you know, people who are quiet and thoughtful tend to be respected. Americans in Japan have a reputation for being loud, noisy, and impetuous. I've never been impetuous. Japanese society in the 1980s when I first lived there uh, was a highly regimented society in which the larger population seemed to internalize the idea that you should respect authority and obey it. And Even kids growing up, uh, when they would finish up school, trying to decide what they wanted to do with their lives, they would take guidance from older people or from the schools and what to do. Well, I mean, that happens in America. Yeah, but not to the same extent. You know, when I came back to the U.S. after four years, I I was kind of at wit's end as to what to do with myself, you know, and and, uh, I thought, well, maybe I'll go to law school. Or maybe I'll just try to get a job in finance bank. That seemed to be a, a lucrative position. <laughs> I don't know. A lot of my uh, college cohort ended up doing going into New York in some sort of financial field. Uh, and, and I remember I was in the kitchen late at night talking with my mom, saying, what, what should I do? In Japan, a parent would tell the kid, more likely, well, you should do this. Oh, okay. And I think I've told you this before. Yeah. And my mom looked at me and she said, Jimmy will support you in whatever you decide to do. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, I wanted you to tell me what to do. Yeah. <laughs> but she told me I had to decide what to do. It is true that at that point in time, in, in American society, you had to find in yourself the energy and assertiveness, what scholarship calls subjectivity or agency, mm-hmm. from within yourself to decide what you wanted to do. And then take action on it. Whereas in Japan, you could get along in life by just doing what other people told you to do. That sounds doesn't sound <laughs> awful. It doesn't sound awful to somebody who's in college trying to figure out what she's going to yeah, do. Exactly. It's like, rescue me, right? <laughs> yeah. But I discovered, having come back to the United States, that uh, I had to become much more self-centered rather than other-centered. You know, one of my first graduate school uh, papers was on a, a theory, I don't want to burden you with a theory, okay. but there was a theory about Japanese society where, you know, the typical Japanese personality is more other-centered, taking direction from others, as opposed to a Western model, yeah. capital W, basically an American model. You know, in America, you've got the uh, you know, the frontier woman or the frontiersman who are mm-hmm. going on making their own way in life. In Japan, they don't have that. Yeah. So, you know, different Human beings, there's a spectrum of personality types, right? Outgoing, internal, contemplative, whatever. And Japanese society at that point in time uh, tended to encourage the more conformist type of personality, whereas American society at that time tended to encourage and reward those people who are more individualistic and independent-minded. And I had trouble shifting back to the United States because I originally was much more looking for 
guidance and for the rules to follow yeah. by. I mean, you were over there alone, so were, were your elders giving you guidance over there? Well, you know, I had a job to do. I was in education, yeah. so I was part of the system that took care of students yeah. and guided them toward uh, the accepted and anticipated direction in their life. And were, were those students very good students? Oh, yeah. It was the best high school in the prefecture. That's like the, the state, kind of? Yes, like the state. Okay. Uh, and they, they judged it by the numbers of kids who got into the premier universities. Yeah. But I think everybody understood that the brightest kids in a particular state, uh, you know, they, they tended to go to just a handful of, well, you know, they're, they're uh, within a large city like New York City. Mm-hmm. Uh, people will try to get their kids into the Bronx School of Science. Yeah. And the kids who are in the Bronx School of Science, they're pretty darn smart. Or if you're in that socioeconomic class where you send your children off to private boarding schools, well, people try to get their kids into the Briarleys if they're living in New York City or yeah. to, you know, Exeter or Andover or whatever, right? In Hiroshima, the best uh, school was the school I taught at. Wow. So we had very bright kids. We also had some kids <laughs> who one of my uh, faculty colleagues ungraciously called droolers. <laughs> there was one kid who was a sweet enough kid, but he wasn't, he wasn't that swift. Aw. You know, so th- there, was a, a, there was a spectrum, you know. Yeah. But by and large, they were pretty darn smart. Was it easy to get that job? Well, I was, it was an unusual thing, and I was very proud of myself, actually, because yeah. I got that job through my own efforts. I finished up college early because I was, didn't like college. Yeah. And I managed to finish early by taking an Jap- intensive summer Japanese language course in the summer. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I, gra- I was able to graduate one semester early. I got a job, a research uh, assistant job type of thing. You find these things at universities relatively yeah. easily. And while I was doing that, I was, you know, I, I was, uh, I thought, gee, I'd like to be a high school uh, social studies teacher. Well, how do I go about doing that? But I also wanted to get really good at Japanese. And uh, so I was speaking with one of my former high school teachers who was in grad school where I was going. And he said, well, have you thought about teaching at one of the Jesuit schools in Japan? I said, well, that's, that's an interesting idea. How do I do that? Well, write a letter to the to the provincial general, the leader of the Jesuits in Japan, and, and he got me that address, and yeah. I wrote a letter. Wow. And it so happens that they were looking for more English language teachers. Up until that point in time, they staffed their, the Jesuits staffed their schools in Japan with Japanese teachers who taught English, and they paired those people with uh, native speakers of English who taught English. And all those native speakers of English who taught English were Jesuit priests. But, you know, they were getting fewer and fewer Jesuits coming yeah. over. So um, they said, oh, well, let's give this guy a shot. Yeah. I mean, I had to meet with Japanese province Jesuit who happened to be studying at my university yeah. in graduate school. So I, I, I made a special arrangement and had an afternoon discussion with him. I had to get a letter from one of my Jesuit teachers in school, from high school, oh my about gosh. my character all this kind of stuff. And I had to write a philosophy of education, of teaching. Well, that was a task for a kid. A you had to write? I had to write up my what, what my philosophy of, of education or teaching was. I forget exactly what it was. Wow. You I know. hate that stuff. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It forces you to be creative and say, well, what is my philosophy of teaching? Yeah. Okay. Are <laughs> there, there, are there, what are the things, some of the things you don't like about Japan? Well... Again, you, you may have picked up in an earlier part of our conversation that uh, a lot of societies change over time. Yeah. 
Japan of the 2020s is a lot different from Japan of the 1980s. Okay. Having sex is 40 years change, right? Yeah. Back then, if you were, uh, if you didn't look Japanese, you really stood out. What I didn't like about Japan back then was that there was a very strong sense of us Japanese versus you Japanese others. Yeah, you were the other. Very much so. And uh, you were put in a special category that a lot of times I felt didn't allow me to be just a normal human being. Yeah. You know, that was something that I found really problematic. It's less like, less like that now? Though. Much less like that now. Probably because social media and stuff. Yeah, social media, I imagine, but also there are a lot of foreigners, if you will, have become quite proficient in Japanese yeah. and have made their lives in Japan. There's been a lot of intermarriage. A couple of years ago, something like 5% of the marriages in Japan were quote-unquote international marriages. Wow. After the 1980s, um, Japanese, the Japanese government has made conscious efforts to make the society more uh, more open. Uh, that was the major thing that I... I well, you know. have to change that, it looks like. I think so. Well... Is there anything else you want to talk about? Well, uh, you had asked this question of where I, I would like to take you. Where do you want to? Where do you want to go with me? Well, I thought about that, and I thought, well, geez, Bridget is always such a good sport going anywhere. You know, almost anywhere you'd like, you'd have a good time going yeah. with me. Uh, on the other hand, you did kind of poo-poo me, uh, you know, saying, "Come visit me in Asia." And you said, "Well, couldn't you go someplace like Europe <laughs> instead?" You may not. No, remember no, that. I did poo-poo you, but the I guess. If you're spending a whole year in, but I, I was talking about the spring semester 2022, uh, and I'm supposed to be studying abroad that semester. Right. So and Jap Jap Japan isn't an option. South Korea is, but I don't know. The, you don't think I should go to South Korea? Uh, don't don't go someplace that's close to me. Yeah, because, just because, because it's just close. because it's close to me. Yeah. And and I I think you the other options were what Australia and Dublin. Yeah. Well. See, one of the countries I thought I was going to say that I thought I enjoy taking you to would be Ireland. Really? Yes. Now, I don't know if this is true or not because I've never been to Ireland. But I think oh. the Irish would uh, know how to good, have a good time. I, think I they, thought, oh, you've been to Scotland. Yeah. I think they know how to enjoy, you know, the everyday life. Yeah. I, I just have this image of that. So I'd like to take you to Ireland. Uh, and, yeah, and, you know, your great-grandmother was born there, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, I, I, in the last decade or so, I figured out exactly where she was born. Really? Yeah, and uh, where she grew up. Yeah, Ireland is what I was thinking. You know, I think you ought to go to Australia or Ireland. I, I don't know. I, I don't really have strong feelings for either. I know from my own experience in Japan that sometimes, you know, programs in, in uh, non-English-speaking country uh, universities, they're a different kind of experience, you know? Yeah, not subpar on the academics. And I definitely don't want to fall behind on academics, so. <laughs> I don't. Oh, That's no, so no. stressful. Oh, it is so stressful, man. Maybe one of the reasons I was a failed physics major in college is because my whole senior year, I didn't take any math. Maybe. You know, I finished up calculus in my junior year. I mean, that's what yeah. I did. I didn't take any math senior year, so probably not because I'm not failing out. <laughs> Although physics is very difficult. Yeah, but well, you know, I, I think my kids are smarter academically than I was. Actually. Really? Yeah, I do. Or at least you're more tuned in, you know, maybe because you had two academic parents. Because we all are pretty good students and, you know, we had two professors as parents. I wonder if that probably had, a, had an effect. I think so. I know when I was in college, there were some of my peers who had parents who were academics. And I'm thinking, 
you know, I didn't think they were really any smarter than I was, but they knew how to get good grades yeah. without even thinking about us. Yeah. Yeah. I, I still haven't quite figured it out, but, <laughs> <laughs> but there is something about implicitly knowing about what, what, what flies and what doesn't. I know with Maggie, especially, I've helped her with writing. Yeah, well... I've spent time suggesting, and I don't know if you benefited at all from us talking about style. I'm, I've only been in college for a year, but having two professors as a parent <laughs> has been clutch. What, what she means by that is that we know what the professors are looking for. You're good at giving advice about how to talk to professors, and, and mom's helped me with some of the electrical engineering stuff. Yeah, some basic uh, principles that's like, well, you know... Yeah. You know, I don't know the basic principles in electronics, but, you know, in, in English prose, you say, well, you know there's such a thing as a parallel construction that gets your point across better, right? Yeah. And this and that, and that sort of thing. I think you, you kids are benefited from that. Definitely, from that. definitely. And besides, it's like an after-dinner conversation. You know how to talk to professors because you've had done it all your life. I know. Well, that's different. Yeah, I know. I know. So anyway, I thought Ireland would be a lot of fun. Okay. Unfortunately, I'm going to be on the other side of the globe from there. I know, I know. But Mom would be happier, I think, if you're in Ireland. She oh, might actually really? visit it. Uh, not that you necessarily would want your parent to visit. Of course I want Mama to visit. Mama's my best friend. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I, being the youngest child, I did have two, two or three years in high school where I was the only child left living in home. It was great, wasn't it? It was. Yeah. In a lot of ways, it really was. Like, I would never actually want to be an only child, but it's great living like one. Well, you, you, know? you have the best of both worlds because you, you know, you know what it's like to have siblings. And there, there are great things about that. And it's ir really irritating, though, too, to yeah. have to live with more people. And actually, that's what a lot of people find out for the first time when they go off to college, when they have to share a room with a yeah. roommate. It, yeah. it, it's like, man, I got to be quiet after when my roommate's sleeping. Otherwise, mm -hmm. this is a real problem. Well, you've got that knowledge base, so enjoy the single child, the only child's existence while it lasts. I mean, it's been incredible, but it's almost over. I think we can wrap it up. All right, I could go on and on. I know, well, you can talk forever. <laughs> when I was a kid, I didn't talk a lot. Now you just talk. If you, if you are asked a question, it's like almost not possible for you to give a one-word <laughs> answer. Yeah, you, you, you kids have told me that. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah, just say yes or no. <laughs> uh, and you can, you can see yourself, like, wanting to add more, but, <laughs> but trying not to because we told you to just say yes or no. See, I think too much. Or I think a lot, yeah. right? But, you know, that, that was a conscious decision coming back from Japan, re-entering American society. I realized I had to stand up for myself and assert my presence. Mm -hmm. So I consciously just tried to speak more. My first two years in grad school, my as we as I was leaving, I, I had a it turned out to be an exit interview with one of my professors. I was just saying goodbye. To her. Yeah. And she said, you know, the only thing I might suggest is that you the only thing I might suggest is that you might think a little bit more before you speak up in class in seminar. And I smiled and I said, you know, you're right. But on the other hand, I used to never speak up. So I've been consciously forcing myself to speak up. Mm. And she said, oh, okay, I see. Of course, it is an occupational hazard being a humanities professor, you know. When the students don't speak up, what are you going to do? Just sit there? Yeah. All right, I'm sorry. I, I keep on talking. I'll stop. I've loved having you on. And I've loved talking with you here. This has been a lot, a lot of fun.
Uh, isn't it fun? It the is. podcast? It is. It's a heck of a lot of fun. I encourage anybody else who might be approached by my loved ones doing this. <laughs> Sylvania Gals. Sylvania Gals. A podcast. Go for it. You won't regret it. All right. Thanks for listening to the Father's Day episode with my dad. My mom will be back next week. Yay. And that's pretty much it. Thank you. Bye.